and welcome to the Outside In Radio Show with me, Amber. And me, Freya. Thanks for tuning in. Today's headline is about vaccine passports and, for our key political concept, the role of media in politics. And for our main segment today, we're talking to Miss Nicholas all about lockdown, sports. It's going to be real small to sport of ideas. Um, but first, our good news story. Um, a postcard that was sent 77 years ago has finally arrived at its destination. Bill Caldwell was a sailor in the Royal Navy who sent a postcard to his uncle Fred in 1943. But his postcard never arrived until this year, when a family member found it on the doorstep of Bill's family home. A picture of the postcard was then circulated on the Caldwell family WhatsApp group um, for Bill's now middle-aged children to see. It's obviously very good news for the Caldwells, but does make me a little concerned about the state of the postal service. Um, and now our etymology of the week is the word disaster. Once again, it's from ancient Greek, and this comes from the prefix dis, which has a negative force, and aster, which means star. So literally it means bad star, but could be interpreted as an ill-starred event. So when you say the stars align when something goes right, this is the opposite. Um, and now on to Politics Breakdown. Hello, welcome to Politics Breakdown. Today we are talking about vaccine passports for our headline. So um, the BBC reported this week that 200,000 people have signed a petition on the government website to um, stop the use of vaccine passports. Um, a vaccine passport would be a document or a piece of ID, like a card that you carry around for people that have had the COVID vaccine, and it would give people more freedoms. There are kind of two types of vaccine passports that might be brought in. So one might be required internationally, so to travel abroad, and then one just for inside the UK, which could let people into big indoor places like stadiums or some people have even proposed using it for pubs and bars. A vaccine passport would, it has been proposed to um, reduce the spread of COVID and, you know, once people have got the vaccine, they can be allowed to do stuff because they're less of a risk to spreading the virus and it should um, keep it under control. Some private companies have already said they're going to introduce their own form of vaccine passports. So the airline Qantas said you need to be vaccinated with them to fly abroad for a holiday once they kind of are running again properly. And um, some companies have said their employees will need to be vaccinated to come into work. Um, for example, some plumbing companies have said that most recently. However, the government is kind of unenthusiastic to put vaccine passports into place and no political party has really said they're supporting it yet um, because people are worried that it might limit people's freedoms and that is why 200,000 people signed that petition. Because so many people have signed a petition saying they don't want vaccine passports, Parliament is going to have to debate it at some point in the future. Um, which will mean we'll get to see how political parties um, feel about this issue. But 
these petitions usually take quite a long time for the government to respond to. So by the time it gets debated, it might not actually be that relevant anymore. Like maybe COVID will have died down already. Um, so it might not be that important when it actually comes into place. But it will be interesting to see how it develops. Thank you for that, Ruby. We're going to move on to our key political concept, which is today the role of the media in the world of politics. Uh, it's actually quite funny we're talking about this, as of course, outside in radio, it's a form of media itself. So it's important to understand our role as well as bigger media platforms and the impact on politics. So, of course, we hear all the time about fake news and how the rise of social media can contribute to this. Um, but there are some parts in the, in the UK law which tries to prohibit this. So um, if the posts are an invasion of privacy, incite terrorism or hate, or have defamation, um, however, it's still quite a prevalent issue. I think it's, I see it as a bit of like a whack-a-mole situation. They solve one issue and another form of fake news just takes its place. Um, and this is why it's important that you should always check where you get your news, where they cite your sources, and if they're from established news outlets. Just because you read it doesn't mean it's true. Another important role for the media is holding people accountable. So while Parliament acts officially in this way, where actually one of the jobs of the Labour Party at the moment um, as the opposition is to hold our government accountable. So um, whether this be COVID, Brexit, any prevalent other issues, uh, and this is also the case for the media. So this can be shown with investigative journalism, um, as well as interviews you see on TV all the time with politicians, sometimes leading into a grilling session. But hey, that's all part of the accountable process. But what happens when this process and this media can be biased and how can this impact politics? Um, in the UK, broadcasters are bound by law to be neutral and to be balanced when especially reporting election and referendum campaigns as to not influencing voter behaviour. But this is quite a nuanced issue. So you have the BBC who has been um, accused of reporting news is more of a left-wing lens, um, but this, of course, has not been proven. And one of the reasons why the BBC gets a lot of scrutiny in this issue is because it's publicly funded. So people want those, um, they want the news outlet to represent those stories in the most balanced way they possibly can. Interestingly, in contrast, the, U the US doesn't have this law. So it means that networks can take an explicit political stance so this can be shown by news outlets like Fox News, who are known for being more right-leaning and pro-Republican. So it's always very important when you get your news, like with anything, you know, The Guardian is more left-leaning, uh, The Times is more right-leaning. So it's just important when you read and consume your news, you kind of know what stance they're going to be taking. Um, so yeah, keep an eye out on that. Okay, so now on to our main segment, and today we are talking to Miss Nicholas. Hello, Miss Nicholas. Hello, everybody. Um, do you just want to introduce yourself? What do you teach? Where, when did you start teaching at Nothing Hill? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I'm Miss Nicholas. I am, my title is the Director of Sport, but that basically means I'm in charge of all of the sport that happens in the senior school and 
partly as well in the junior school, so they cover quite a lot of the school. Um, I actually started at a really weird time. I started at Easter 2017, um, which is a really weird time to start at a school because obviously most people normally start in September. So I got thrown in um, into the mix uh, mid-year. Mid so come up to this Easter, I would have been at the school for four years. And what inspired you to become a PE teacher? God, good question. So I'm one of those annoying people that like I've known what I wanted to do since I was literally 11. So I, when I was 11, and this, the person, the teacher who was my teacher then still brings us up, I had the same teacher for PE and biology. And I, I idolized that teacher, but I loved those lessons. They were my fav favorite two lessons of the week. And um, I, I went up to her um, like midway through year seven and just said, when I'm older, I want to be exactly like you and be a biology and PE teacher. And um, so cringe, but it's true. And I just got more and more opportunities through my time at school to coach others. So like, when I was in year 11, I used to help out with year seven. And then when I was in sixth form, I was like the, the school captain for sport. So um, I got to do like loads more with young ones and then that just reinforced it even more. I just loved it even more and I remember thinking in sick form like I'd quite happily skip university and just, just become a teacher. Um, I'm glad I didn't because university was a great experience but yeah so I've been quite set on it and actually probably the opposite from other people. I've always thought have I missed out by not exploring other things but just nothing's ever excited me as much as, as teaching does which is um, very cliche but in my case very true. Um, and you played a bit of rugby professionally, so was that just, how did you get into that diversion before the teaching? So that's, I mean, in terms of it being professional, rugby's only been professional for the last four years. So I wasn't professional. What I was was I played for my country and I also played premiership. So I played at the highest possible level. Um, so what that meant was I was actually playing rugby and going to, you know, weekend training camps, um, you know, sometimes whole half week training camps um, whilst being a teacher. So I was really lucky. Um, both my previous schools, I kind of did towards the end of my first school and in my last school, they were really supportive. Um, I remember when I first got called up to England, my headmistress then gave me a massive hug and was like, good on you. So I was always really supportive, but it was hard um, because it meant I had to do it whilst being a teacher. Um, and yeah, rugby kind of came about as a bit of a, a diversion for me because my passion was always very much hockey and netball. And um, I kind of got picked up a little bit at university and they were like, look, you, you've got strengths that would show you'd be able in rugby. Would you like to transfer to it? And it, I went to a co-ed school and rugby was always traditionally for boys there, but I had wanted to try it. And so I kind of jumped at the chance. And then before I knew it, you know, a year in, I had had to give up all other sports and like everything just suddenly became driven to rugby. So I didn't pick up a rugby ball till I was about 20. And my career finished by the time I was 27, 28. So that eight years sounds like a long time, but actually it's not. And it went very quickly. And I'll see it ended through injury. So um, a bit of a, a different ending to maybe how I'd hoped. But I think in hindsight, probably an ending that allowed me to be in this job now, because I don't think I would be at this level in my career now if I had done rugby, carried on with it. Yeah, linking to that, um, what's your experience in terms of being a woman in sports? And do you have any tips 
to have um, overcome challenges in that male-dominated industry? That is a great question. And actually, I'm on a committee at the moment of um, women directors of sport. And even now, like, I go to a directors of sport meeting and there's probably often 200 people in the room and of them, maybe 20 are women. So, you know, even now in my workplace, you know, you'd be surprised at how male-dominated um, the sports world can be. Um, so tips for girls. Um, it sounds silly, but just don't ever let stereotypes like judge what you can and can't do. You can literally do any sport you want to do. Um, there isn't a sport that's like, gender-specific, and anything that you want to do is right for you. It doesn't matter what gender you are. Um, be persistent. Um, so if you get no's initially, you know, to join clubs because you're a girl, you know, try and challenge them a little bit, send them an email or see if there's a link they've got with a girls club, if it's football or cricket or rugby or something where there still exist clubs that are just for boys. Um, and I think as well, like more and more female sport is becoming professional. So some of my best friends, like literally people that I call up weekly are now professional sportswomen. Um, and I think like, there's a massive thing at the moment where girls, if girls support women, okay, and then, you know, and you keep supporting each other, the need and want for professional sports only going to get more and that's going to benefit your generation. So I'm really big on like girls supporting women's sport. And I guess the key I would say is look up to your role models that are women, you know, find out who the women are in the women's rugby team, find out who the women are in the netball, hockey, athletics, whatever sport it is, cricket, golf, whatever you love and, and follow those people. And they, they will just give you the kind of courage and determination to to follow that sport, you know, and to, to have a go and get involved. Um, and when we were organising this interview, you mentioned that you think everyone has a sport that's right for them. So what do you mean by that? And how would someone go about finding their sport? Yeah, I'd love someone to challenge me after this radio thing. I genuinely feel that everyone has a sport that's right for them. And I just honestly think you have to find it. And, like, I, I, I think there's something for everyone, and I truly believe that. And I think it sounds patronising, but I think as people get older, you have a realisation that a sport's for you, and you hear about, you know, women in particular taking up sports in their 20s and 30s and finding a love for them because they didn't at school, because maybe the school sports they were offered were quite traditional and not actually that expanded. Um, so that's why I think, and I think you just need to find the right thing and, it, and sport won't be a chore anymore. That's what I think. Like, for me, sport's not a chore. It's like, my, I actually enjoy doing it. It's what I want to do. It's, if I could choose to play, play sport 24 hours a day, I would. Um, and that's because I found my right sport. So, for me, hockey and netball are two things that, like, I still play. I don't know how, but I do. Whereas if at school, you know, I didn't particularly enjoy um, badminton. I found always found badminton not my thing. And, and yoga as well. I've not got the patience. So if I hadn't been exposed to I'm lucky I got exposed to the sports I love, but it might not have been that way. So just once you find the thing you love, sport won't be a chore, and then you'll embrace it. Yeah, talk about things, finding things that you love. What do you think about, um, want to pick your brains about how to stay active in lockdown? What's your tips for others? Okay, so top tips for me would be like set yourself a challenge to get outdoors every day. So, you know, being active in lockdown doesn't mean, you know, you have to do a hit workout every day. I think if it was, you know, 
no one would be active in lockdown. So definitely set yourself a challenge, a task to get outdoors every day, even if it's for 10 minutes. Um, the second thing, a big one for me is listening to music. Um, so I actually, the music uh, department did like a music newsletter with like top tips of songs from teachers. I actually took them and like listened to a load of them the other day. But um, yeah, listen to music, find music you love and inspires you. Um, I have to say, Miss Cagnino has very good taste in music. I like her options. Um, do it with friends. Um, that's another big thing, I would say. So um, you're allowed to meet with one other person at the moment. So definitely do that. Arrange to meet somewhere and, and go for a walk. Um, and then my final thing would be like, don't be scared to try different apps, try different YouTube workouts and like use this time we've got to actually see what you like. Um, I know I don't like yoga, but actually I found I quite like Pilates, which is very similar, but has a bit more of a structure to it. So you might find by trying different things that there's something that works right for you. Um, so yeah, they're my top tips, but music is definitely my number one. Um, and if you could choose any of the incredible sport options that we have at Notting Hill, um, that maybe you haven't done before or you know you really enjoy, um, what one would you choose? That's hard. To like participate in myself. Yeah. You know what? It's really hard. I like genuinely love a load of sports. I don't think there's one sport for me. If there was, I would still just be doing that one sport. There's one sport for me that I love more than others. Like I genuinely love like hockey, netball, cricket, athletics, rugby, obviously. Um, I really enjoy football. I'm not great at it. Um, actually, it's, I'm not that coordinated with my feet. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't think there's an answer to that. I think I like too many sports, which again is a bit cliche, but it's true. So I can tell you what I'm not great at and that's yoga, but yeah. I don't think I'm very good at yoga either. I don't have that flexibility. Uh, we also have a question from our Instagram followers, which are, are year 11s having sport when they go back to school? Uh, great question. So the answer is yes. Um, year 11 definitely will get some support um, but I'm really aware that for everybody I think um, people don't necessarily want conventional um, like lessons people want a lot of like house competition and and house sport and like kind of fun competitions where you can be as a team with your friends or a team with within your house and, and that kind of thing so I think for all years not just for year 11 we're trying to make sure that we can include as much competition house competition and kind of um, that kind of emphasis on our lessons rather than learning new skills or developing in that way. Um, and our producer Alice has just texted us and said, what are your favourite songs to run to? Oh, gosh, that is such a good question. That Right, I'll, I'm going to get up my playlist. I'm really, I'm one of these people in quizzes, like, I always know the name of the song, but I never can like think of it. Okay, my current, well, my current running playlist, there's a, there's a few awful ones on there. Um, so inspired by Miss Cagnino, I added on last week Gold Dust by DJ Fresh. If you haven't heard that, that's a great song. Um, I really like Chasing Status. Um, I don't know if you know them as a band. Chasing Status, no? No? Okay, great. So Chasing Status is a really good one. So like End Credits, great song, um, or Alive from them. Um, what else have I got on there? Pump It Up by Endor. That's definitely to get me through like a hard run. Um, Flowers by uh, Nathan Dorr and Jakey. That's called. 
then there's and then it goes into those quite bad stuff so then it goes into a bit of Beyonce um and followed by the Spice Girls so I don't know what I'm doing towards the end of my runs but uh it's definitely a lot more high-pitched at the beginning and then it goes a little bit kind of uh yeah, my, my running playlist at the end at the end actually finishes with Wannabe by the Spice Girls at the moment, which uh, I think says a lot about where I may be at at the end of my runs. But yeah, um, they're just a few of the ones on my on my playlist at the moment. What would you say if someone was really unmotivated but they wanted to get back into sports? What would your tips be to like re-enter the sporting game? Yeah, it's a hard one, isn't it? I think just taking that first step is like, that's the biggest bit because once you start going or start doing it, it becomes a routine. Um, but I guess whatever for you works in taking that first step. So um, if it's that you want to go to a sports club in school that's opening up or something like that, then going with a friend, like be, doing things together and saying, look, I don't really want to go, but I, I need to, will you help me? you know, and doing it together and making it a fun thing. Like maybe afterwards you go get a drink together or you, you know, you get travel home together. So that would be a top tip if it's in school. Um, outside of school, like I always think people set their goals too high. Um, I think people think this of me that I expect, you know, all my students to be like, you know, working out for hit 10 hours a day, you know, running 5k every weekend. Um, but I, I don't feel like that. I think if you're going to motivate yourself, start small with really achievable goals. So it might be that I do a 10-minute walk and a 10-minute run together. Um, and that's it. Big tick. That's done. And the next time can I do, you know, a 12-minute walk, uh, run and a 8-minute walk. And I just set it really small um, because the more you achieve in it, and the, the more likely you're going to want to do it again. So start your goals small and achievable. And if it's in school, like, get a friend to do it with you, definitely. Okay, so finally, our bonus question uh, that we ask all our teacher guests is, what is your favourite celebrations chocolate? It's a difficult one. It's between two. Galaxy Caramel, which I'm pretty sure is one. I love the Galaxy Caramel. Or Maltesers, but I'm going to go with Galaxy Caramel because I think, like, it's a strong choice and I do like the caramel. So yeah, Galaxy Caramel. Good choice. Well, perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We really loved having you. And um, do you have any lasting words to inspire? My last, my la well, my lasting words is how awesome this is. Like, you guys say, like, you often talk about teachers inspiring you. But honestly, girls, I genuinely think this is incredible. And I think you'd be surprised in knowing, like, how often as girls you inspire us. So, yeah, my final words are, this is an awesome thing you're doing, so keep doing it. I think it's brilliant. Thank you. Um, yeah, thank you for joining us. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Okay, so before we finish, I we have a couple of shout-outs. Um, first, a shameless plug for my own classics book club. Our first session is on the 16th of March. It's for years 10 to 13, and we'll be discussing the book Pompeii by Robert Harris. So do come along, even if you read the book a couple of years ago and just read, read the spark notes beforehand to remind yourself. We sent out an email a while ago with some details, but there'll be another one a few days before the 16th with some more information. I'm also shamelessly plugging my Horrible Histories Clubs as technology display which is outside the school railings. So if you live locally, 
take a leaf out of Miss Nicholas's book and go on a walk. We even have a quiz. Wonderful. Um, tune in next week for our World Book Day special. We'll be talking to the amazing author Lucy Jago, whose incredible historical fiction novel A Net for Small Fishes has recently been released. Yup. As always, follow us on Instagram, drop us an email or DM. Let us know your achievements, big or small, or even medium-sized, and we'll shout them out next week. Thanks for listening. Bye! Bye. Bye. Oh,